A listener took issue with the episode titled Renting a Room in the House that Prague's Built, and he sent me an interesting email. Some might describe it as threatening and a clear example of online bullying, but I'll let you decide. State Senate Minority Leader Joe Benning, the most outspoken Scott Trooper, is apparently not pleased with my assessment of Vermont's political scene. This is actually not the first time, but more on that later. He writes, quote, You should always have your facts straight before publishing public comment. Failing to do so can result in a libel suit. No, I have no intention of suing you, but I must really question where you get your facts from. End quote. Begins the ominous email. Benning claims that he did not support the radical pro-abortion bill, which allows abortion right up to the day of delivery that was passed this legislative session, and he demands twice that my podcast needs to be corrected. He laments, quote, You could have avoided all of this if you had simply picked up the phone and asked me my opinion, but it seems like you have no interest in doing that. That is unfortunate. End quote. Well, Thank you for your notes, sir. I will amend the record by proving that you did support the legislation, but cleverly covered your back, and how you have made an art form out of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Here's my response. Benning. into the specifics, let me address a potential point of concern. Those of you who don't live in Vermont may say, Meg, why should we care about what some state legislator says? We should care because his words and ways are emblematic of the Republican establishment in deep blue states. States and cities that are run by the left are in serious trouble. Health officials are warning about the bubonic plague spreading in L.A., and we've all heard the back and forth about Baltimore on the national stage. Similarly, Vermont suffers from chronic and systemic mismanagement. The state's economy is so bad that progressives are getting priced out of their mecca of Burlington. According to a 2019 survey of young people between the ages of 22 and 34, 40% intend to leave Vermont. The number one reason is because they cannot afford to buy a home. I did not participate in this survey, but I can't afford to buy a house here either, and God knows I want to. The left deserves plenty of blame for what is happening to Vermont, but I also hold the Vermont GOP establishment responsible. In my opinion, they are complicit in the devastation of the state. They are too busy indulging in political opportunism as they appease the majority. They refuse to offer an alternative to Vermonters. And worse, they never miss out on any opportunity to publicly condemn conservatives. A month after the 2018 elections, Benning wrote an op-ed in which he said, quote, Surveys show that the majority of Vermonters reject the image of hate, 
bigotry, and nationalistic paranoia that many attribute to the National Party. They will never rally around candidates spewing doom and gloom. We clearly have work to do, end quote. The only group that equates the National Republican Party with hate and paranoia are hyperpartisan Democrats. So why would a Republican politician say that? Perhaps because not very long ago, he was a Democrat. That's right. Benning ran for the state Senate as a Democrat in 1998 and was handily defeated. He quickly realized that he can't win in that rare conservative part of Vermont as a Democrat, and so he switched parties. Now he spends his time hectoring conservatives about what a real Vermont Republican should sound like. Right after Trump's big win in 2016, Benning wrote him an open letter in which he said, Dear Donald Trump, like you, I am a Republican. More importantly, I am a Vermont Republican, and there is a difference. Here is an extended quote from Benning addressed to the president, which is important because it will prove to you that he is, for all intents and purposes, a member of the American political left. Quote, your past words and actions have set a different stage for confrontation. You have labeled yourself as a boorish bully, a narcissist, a sexist, a sexual predator, a misogynist, a racist, an Islamophobe, and someone intolerant of any couple that doesn't fit the mold of Ward and June Cleaver. Those revolting on the left aren't doing so in a vacuum of paranoia. They have legitimate fears based on your own history that your government will sanction upheaval in their lives or condone things repugnant to public discourse. They are rising up in self-defense primarily because you have made them feel like they have to, end quote. Therefore, all that ugly and extremely undemocratic physical violence to which the left resorted after Trump won in 2016 is actually Trump's fault, says Benning, because he left the violent protesters with no choice. This is the whole punch a Nazi strategy. If you decide that someone is a Nazi, then sure, punch him all you want. Punch away and feel like a hero while doing so. This is exactly the modus operandi of Antifa. Speaking of Antifa, someone wise once said, that the fascists of the future will be called anti-fascists. I want to emphasize here that my criticism of the Scott Troopers has nothing to do with President Trump and everything to do with their shameless moral grandstanding and naked political opportunism. When a Scott Trooper knocks on your door on the campaign trail, he will tell you exactly what he thinks you want to hear. If he sees an NRA sticker on your car, he will tell you about that one gun restriction law that he did not vote for, omitting the fact that he voted in favor of four others. But if he happens to come across a resist sticker, then he will tell you how he wishes Phil Scott had signed more laws that violate the Second Amendment and Article 16 of the Vermont Constitution, which states unequivocally that the people have a right to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state, period. 
Now, let's get into the weeds of the disagreement with Benning. I argue that he supports the newly passed radically pro-abortion legislation, while he calls that, quote, an absolute lie. There are two state Senate roll call votes recorded for this legislation. On May 7th, Benning voted yes on the final vote, sending the bill back to the House. Also on May 7th, he voted no on a third reading roll call. So, Benning voted both yes and no to this legislation. Hat tip here to Guy Page, the editor and publisher of State House Headliners and the Vermont Daily Chronicle newspaper. Regarding Benning's claim in the email that he worked hard behind the scenes rallying legislators not to support this legislation, there is no documentation or any other evidence to prove it. As a member of the public, the voting record is what I go by. If Benning voted yes and no to this legislation, then how did I conclude that he supports it? Because this particular bill is not a standalone legislation. It has to be understood in conjunction with Proposal 5 or Prop 5, which would amend the Vermont Constitution to protect the practice of abortion without any qualifications or restrictions in the event that Roe v. Wade gets overturned. The Democrat and progressive majorities fear that Roe v. Wade will get overturned by the conservative majority on the Supreme Court forms the self-professed driving force behind these two legislative actions. Proposition 5 codifies the radical pro-abortion bill into the Constitution of the State of Vermont. In the first episode of this podcast, I explained how the framework around the abortion debate has changed radically. Historically, the left was pro-choice and the right was pro-life. Now, however, the left has embraced unqualified abortion up to the day of delivery. And so, now the divide is between a pro-abortion left and a right that is not pro-abortion. Both the recently passed radical abortion bill and Vermont's constitutional amendment, which is in progress, reflect the left's new radical stance. So, what does Benning think about Prop 5? He has publicly and indisputably endorsed Prop 5, even writing an op-ed in which he exhorts Vermonters on the right to support Prop 5. Using incoherent reasoning and tortured legalese, Benning attempts to argue that Prop 5 is a gender-neutral amendment that will preserve the right to privacy. Importantly, this right to privacy is not just about abortion, Benning claims. It also includes questions such as whether he should be entitled to a vasectomy. Quick side note, Joe. The female equivalent of a vasectomy is a tubectomy and not an abortion. In any case, because Prop 5 is essentially about the right to privacy, Benning claims that it is consistent with Vermont's age-old tradition of individual freedom and independence, as Ethan Allen, one of the brave founders of Vermont, once pounded his fist on a table in a Bennington tavern and proclaimed, the gods of the valleys are not the gods of the hills, followed by more excruciating verbiage 
by Benning positioning himself as a wise and virtuous thought leader of the right. But what do the Democrat and progressive sponsors of Prop 5 say about the amendment? Chair of the Senate Health and Welfare Committee, Senator Ginny Lyons, said that the amendment will affirm the right to abortion as it currently exists in Vermont in the event that federal law on the issue changes. In an article by Vermont Digger, Lyons says that she believes Roe v. Wade is tenuous and that it won't be long before the U.S. Supreme Court turns it over. So, she says, quote, it is important for us to have in place our own constitutional amendment that ensures, going forward, that we have reproductive liberty, end quote. In the same article, the link to which you can find in the description of this episode, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mitzi Johnson, says that she sees Proposal 5 and the constitutional amendment as companion initiatives, and she wishes both to move forward. She says, quote, The bill and the constitutional amendment go hand in hand to guarantee Vermonters access to reproductive liberty in statute and in the Constitution, end quote. Her desire was to see both of those legislative actions cross the finish line in 2019. So, there you have it, straight from the horse's mouth. Prop 5 and H57 go hand in hand. How then can Benning support one and not the other? How can he position himself as a public champion of one and not the other? Therefore, I stand proudly by my original assessment. On the one hand, Benning throws a hissy fit, accusing me of libel because I said that he supports a radical pro-abortion legislation, and on the other hand, he proudly announces his support for Prop 5. How do you make sense of that contradiction? Remember what I said at the beginning of this episode about making an art form of talking out of both sides of your mouth? Behold, Benning, the great master practicing the delicate art form of wanting to have your cake and eat it too, of making an omelet without breaking any eggs, of selling the cow and still drinking its milk, of flying an airplane as a passenger, and of thinking, acting, speaking, and voting as a leftist while simultaneously proclaiming that you are in fact a Republican. Now, let's look into the details of another example of such behavior by Benning, which proves that this is not a one-off incident but a pattern, a pattern of double talk, of gaslighting, of bullying and silencing critics as he so desperately strives to prove that he is the only man on the right not worthy of contempt. In early 2017, Phil Scott held a grand press conference in which he cast Trump as Goliath to his David and proclaimed, quote, 
I'm going to do everything I can to protect the rights of all Vermonters and the human rights of all people. And that includes standing up to executive orders from Washington that cross legal, ethical, and moral lines, end quote. There were ample and easily accessible legal analyses proving that President Trump's executive orders, which his critics on the left deceitfully dubbed as the Muslim ban, did not violate the rights of Vermonters or infringe on the rights of Vermont as a state. Congress has afforded the executive branch plenary or absolute power over immigration, and yet Scott convened a special cabinet to examine the executive order's alleged non-compliance with state and constitutional laws. The unspoken premise of Phil Scott's investigation was to resist a rogue president who willfully infringes on states' rights and the liberties of Americans, all of which was absolute nonsense. Vermont legislators did their part by drafting Senate Bill 79. This bill adds one's immigration status to the list of categories protected against discrimination, such as age, disability, gender, etc. Even though immigration status is not a personal characteristic, it is a legal concept defined according to a nation's immigration laws. While researching this issue, I relied on the expertise and testimonies of two individuals. One, House Republican legislator Gary Viennes of Newport, who has since retired, Viennes served in law enforcement for 30 years, retiring in 2010 with the U.S. Border Patrol as a Deputy Chief Border Patrol agent, and two, Gary Shattuck, former Vermont law enforcement officer and former Assistant United States Attorney. So what was the objective of making one's immigration status as a protected category by law in Vermont. In testimony provided to the state Senate, Shattuck explained, quote, Senate Bill 79 seeks to block the enforcement of federal law through its efforts to provide privileged protection to individuals regardless of their immigration status. A real possibility exists that the state will become an attractive haven for those in the country illegally or otherwise in violation of the nation's immigration laws. Because of the extraordinary protections permitted, S-79 represents an opening salvo in moving forward with efforts to turn Vermont into an extra-legal entity, a so-called sanctuary state, end quote. Establishing Vermont as a sanctuary state jeopardizes the safety of law enforcement officers and the public. When I wrote this truth, in my newspaper column, Benning turned into a Facebook troll to put me in my place. Why was I wrong? Because the word sanctuary was not present in the language of Senate Bill 79. This was the reason why Benning and other Scott troopers tried to bully and shame critics into silence by calling them ignorant hardliners and specifically calling my sources latent bigots. The bill, which has since passed, enacts sanctuary-like policies regardless of whether the word sanctuary is articulated or not. Moreover, that legislation was paired with policy guidelines issued by Scott's special cabinet. 
These policy guidelines for immigration law enforcement by Vermont agencies does mention the word sanctuary. Scott's Special Immigration Task Force studied and considered adapting New York State's legal guidance on establishing sanctuary jurisdiction. That document, by the way, is titled Guidance Concerning Local Authority Participation in Immigration Enforcement and Model Sanctuary Provisions. It also notes that pro-sanctuary policies may be adopted regardless of whether a municipality chooses to call itself a sanctuary city or town. Like Senate Bill 79, the task force's proposal asserts that Vermont can and should violate two federal statutes that require communication between government agencies and the Immigration and Naturalization Service regarding the citizenship or immigration status, lawful or unlawful, of any individual. So Vermont, led by the left, Phil Scott, and his Scott troopers proudly flout the rule of law to defy supposed federal overreach? In a Facebook post, Benning wrote me that S-79 definitely does prevent state law enforcement from being commandeered by a federal chain of command for the purpose of creating a registry based on one's religious affiliation. Anyone with a shred of knowledge of Vermont history, he wrote, should also know why that is important. Today's Donald Trump seeking to create a Muslim registry, which is how this whole thing began, is tomorrow's Elizabeth Warren creating a gun owner registry. Conservatives are supposed to stand for the proposition of a constitutional republic. At least that's why I joined the party. Such a republic jealously guards lines of demarcation when it comes to federal and state roles, end quote. Benning is a lawyer by profession, and yet he claims that Trump's executive orders were an example of federal overreach. It is incredible that, as a lawyer, Benning is not aware of Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, which grants to the president inherent foreign affairs and national security powers. It is hard to believe that Benning is not aware of the plenary power doctrine, according to which Congress has given away its power over immigration to the executive branch. It is hard to believe that Benning is not aware of the federal statute on inadmissible aliens under the 1952 Immigration and Nationality Act, which states that the president can, quote, suspend the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States that he deems detrimental to the interests of the United States, end quote. It is hard to believe that Benning is not aware of Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution, which states that the laws of the United States and the Constitution shall be the supreme law of the land, also known as the Supremacy Clause. It is hard to believe that Benning is not aware of the 2012 U.S. Supreme Court case, Arizona v. USA, in which the highest court of the land established that the federal government has occupied the field of alien registration and that immigration enforcement is entrusted wholly to the discretion of the federal government. 
the U.S. Supreme Court even adds that any complementary state regulation in the field of immigration is impermissible. President Trump acted fully within the statutory authority granted to him by Congress. And therefore, there is not a single shred of legal evidence in support of the claim made by Phil Scott, Benning, and the other Scott troopers that the executive orders amounted to federal overreach. All these facts notwithstanding, Benning and other Scott troopers had the temerity to insist that S-79 was not about defying a president that they personally detest, but actually about standing up to federal overreach. Similarly, in 2019, Scott Trooper Benning insists that Prop 5 is not about abortion, but about preserving the sacred right to privacy. Benning, in particular, but other Scott Troopers as well, have shown a pattern of disingenuous wordplay and malicious political games coupled with attacks on those who dare to challenge them. Here are a couple of questions that I would like you to consider. Why does Benning, a Republican politician who seems to know exactly how conservatives ought to engage with the political process, why does this politician consistently buy into the left's narratives? Why does he always accept what the left believes about the National Republican Party and about conservatives in general? Why did he believe that President Trump was secretly interested in creating a Muslim registry? Why does a Republican politician believe that hate-filled ideologues feel emboldened and supported by President Trump? Why does he believe that the only reason Donald Trump is in the White House is thanks to racists and bigots and paranoid jingoists? Why does he believe that the left is justified in its violent actions, all in the name of resistance? To a democratically elected president, why does Benning, this great Vermont Republican, believe that President Trump ought to take his cue from the words of Democrats Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, who have set the proper tone for this still great nation? What exactly is the difference between Benning's definition of a Republican and a Democrat? The only way that Vermonters on the right can strip voices like Benning's of all significance is by winning in 2020 and winning big. I will end my definitive response to the senator on that forward-looking note. Were I a leftist, I would have saved myself all the trouble of compiling facts to demonstrate a pattern of behavior on his part. Instead, I would have characterized his attacks toward me as evidence of sexism, misogyny, latent bigotry against immigrants, racism, and xenophobic paranoia. No, Joe, I have no intention of suing you for what the left would argue are hate crimes against me. But you are most welcome to sue me. That's it, folks. Write to me at megpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook 
on my Facebook page, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, where you can watch interviews from my TV show. I'm super thrilled to share that the podcast is now available on iTunes, so make sure to subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday with bonus Thursday thoughts. Until next time, I'm Meg Hansen, and you've been listening to Writing What's Left.